This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey everyone, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We hope that you are doing well. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. And I have to say, I've been looking at some of our analytics, and there are a lot of people from out of the country weekly that listen to the show. That's true. So shout yeah. out for people that are not in America who are checking us out, and uh, we're thankful that this is helping you. I actually, there was one guy, mm. um, he might be in America, but um, I saw on our YouTube channel, he said that he goes out and street preaches and that he uses our uh, videos to help him prepare our videos that's what he said interesting yeah. interesting so yeah wow cool. that's really cool yeah so <laughs> hopefully we're making an impact hopefully definitely some of you can use this uh, material we're going to share today about buddhism which will be really interesting and different but before we get into talking yes. about the lucky buddha ah the lucky buddha yeah there's that's a that's <laughs> a restaurant down the street from yeah there. that's a local thing for <laughs> yeah, us so, a, like most of you probably don't get that it's a yeah. it's um it's a chinese restaurant it's a chinese restaurant that's yeah. close by it's really good actually yeah. <laughs> but before we get into talking about the original Lucky Buddha, ah, there we go. <laughs> we want to start with a coffee tip because we always like to start, start the show with Christ, culture, and coffee being a yes. coffee tip. So Tyler, what is the coffee tip for today? Yeah, this is going to be interesting for you guys. It's a, a little myth buster mm. of a coffee tip here. A lot of people... I've heard this a lot growing up until okay. until I started doing this podcast and people enlightened me, just like mm-hmm. the Buddha was enlightened. Just like it. Yeah, which we'll get into that more, <laughs> that nice little pun I threw in there. That was good. Um, I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like but that. the thing is, is apparently it's just been this running catchphrase or this idea or old wives tale, you, mm-hmm. some may say, that coffee can stunt a child's growth if you give it to them. Oh yeah, I mean, some people, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Like, don't give kids coffee because it'll make them not grow. And then they also threaten kids with like, "Hey, if you don't eat your vegetables, you won't grow." Right? <laughs> so, yeah, right yeah. One stunts it, and yeah, I guess one increases it. Yeah, whatever. Exactly, exactly. So uh, the thing is, is it's always kind of been on my mind too. It's like, does coffee actually stunt a kid's growth? I was told that as a kid too when sure. I asked them, like, "Hey, can I have some coffee for my parents?" Yeah. And they're like, "Nah, it's not good for you for like all these yeah. reasons." But we I care th- about your verdict. I, I think the real so. reason is. Uh, parents just don't want their kids to have caffeine. All and hopped all up, sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, what's very interesting about that is there's actually no evidence that coffee or caffeine in general stunts a kid's growth. Amen to Isn't that. Isn't that interesting? Amen to that. Amen to that, right. Uh, some believe this myth actually developed from a study that was done in the 80s that showed people uh, who regularly drank coffee had an increased risk of, I'm, I might butcher this, osteoporosis. Yeah, yeah there we go. Yeah. Bone because, disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because caffeine can lead to increased calcium excretion in, in the bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people were convinced that essentially the, the idea that it would weaken your bones and cause a child's growth to be stunted, right? Uh, okay, because if we weaken bones, then maybe yeah, it will help bones develop, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. That so that, that would make you smaller. So you know what? Like, I can see where their line of thinking was, but yeah. there was no scientific basis in that. No, so there isn't. It doesn't happen at all. And like, crazy thing is, is we, we've talked about it many times on the show, coffee turns out to actually be really healthy mm-hmm. before you add all the cream, sugar, and everything else that goes Oh, yeah, there. sure. So, yeah, yeah. But coffee in itself 
tends to have a lot more health benefits than it does on the negative aspects for your health. It does. So uh, very, very thankful for that. Uh, but another reason people have believed this is also because of the suggestion for pregnant mothers to limit their caffeine intake. Yeah, because yeah doctors always say exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, sure. So that is one aspect where it's not good for your health is when you're pregnant. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of maybe like the idea they think, oh, maybe it stunts the development of like preborn children too, mm-hmm. and as well as born children. So you can see where this mentality was coming from. Yeah, that makes sense. And when, when it comes to anything like this, you know, moderation is the key yeah, to it all, right? Exactly. Like, again, you probably shouldn't give your kid a venti, you know, double espresso <laughs> shot, whatever, of all this <laughs> right. caffeine because their body's little and it can't handle that. It'd be like you drinking three of them. Not yeah, a right. good idea, right? But kids can handle caffeine. Exactly. And it's not horrible for them at all in small doses. Actually, sugar's yeah. probably way worse oh, for sure. kids than caffeine is. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's always about, like you said, it's moderation with anything. Not yep. even just coffee. Like, it's whenever we try to overindulge of something in excess, that's yeah. when it becomes an issue. It's never also. good, yeah. No, of course. It's so funny because um, my kids love coffee. Oh, that's great. Well, <laughs> they love sugar. Ah. Yeah, so that's the real key. But they get up yeah. some morning and she's like, Dad, can we have kid coffee? And and what they mean is, so I make this coffee for them where I get this, I get these small cups that we have for them, and then I put like a tablespoon of sugar in it. <laughs> it's that's probably funny. not good for them. And then I put like this much coffee and I stir it around to melt the sugar, you know, and then I fill it up with milk. And they love it. Because it's basically sugar milk. That's so good. <laughs> that has a little hinge of brown. Have you ever had them taste color. black coffee? Oh yeah, they don't like it. Oh, that's yeah, great. They don't it's like, like it at all. I picture that the equivalent of like when you give a baby a lemon and they suck on it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they are not a fan of black <laughs> coffee, but they like kids' coffee. And so every that's you know great. once in a while we'll let them have that because moderation. Yeah, is the key. And so that's good. Yep. Yeah, so if you got kids out there and you want to get them hooked on caffeine, you can do that <laughs> right now, and it won't damage their height. So that's don't worry great. about that at all. They will still probably be the same hype that they would have been. And if they aren't, you will never know. That's true. Yeah, it is yeah. true. So on with the topic for today. Yes, Buddhism. Yes. And we, you wanted to talk about this, Tyler. Why did you think this would be kind of a cool subject to get yeah, into? Yeah, well, it came to my mind when we were thinking of something to talk about and discuss next on the podcast is we've been going over a lot of uh, stuff with progressive Christianity. Mm-hmm. That was our last series, right? We were talking about New Age. We were talking about the Enneagram yeah. and then uh, Marsha's testimony and coming out of that. So uh What's interesting is you could see throughout a lot of the themes that we find in the progressive church, especially just like we were discussing over the past series, that people tend to take these uh, ideas out of other religions. And oftentimes a, a lot of those people in the progressive church adapt some ideas that are originally founded in Buddhism. Yeah, a lot of uh, New yes. Age stuff is is New Age ideologies. New a Age lot is of specifically, is, yeah, yeah, Hinduistic yeah. and Buddhistic, but it's not like of course pure Hinduism or Buddhism. Yeah, they like take yeah. and mix and match stuff. And we realize, like I was thinking about this, we haven't discussed Buddhism really mm-hmm. at all uh, that much on the podcast, so. To give you guys some context to understand a little bit more deeply the philosophy behind the way of thinking of some of the new age ideas that are out there, we wanted to cover Buddhism. That way you could just get a good ground level foundation for where some of these mystic and spiritual ideas are coming from. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea. I'm excited about this. So let's get on with that. I'm going to talk about uh, the origins of Buddhism. Where did this come from? Now, there is some debate onto the, the date 
dates for the life of who we know as the Buddha. Uh, his actual name, though, was Siddhartha Gautama. Mm-hmm. And the the general consensus is he lived in the 6th and 5th century BC. So there's differing dates depending on which scholars you read. But a, a general consensus that's pretty close is somewhere between 563 to 8 four, uh sorry, 563 to 483. Yeah, is right. when he lived his life. And so this according to biblical date, you know, and biblical timeline, this would be right near the end of uh, the prophets writing, so in Malachi's time period. Yeah. Or, or later is when Buddha lived. Now, uh, his name, again, was Siddhartha Gautama, and he was actually born in Nepal. A lot of people think he's from India. Mm. And again, the culture is very similar, but well, he's not from India. He's yeah. from Nepal. I mean, I, you'd see why people would think that because these ideas are very popular in India. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. yep. He was also born into a regal class, the warrior class. So his family was wealthy and lived in a palace and had money and had yeah. uh, everything they'd ever want. Um, but he eventually left everything that he had all of his wealth and his status and his position in life to find the source of suffering and how to eliminate it. That was like his Mm. goal in life. How do I find the source of suffering and stop it? So he practiced uh, what's called asceticism, um, which is extreme, uh, you know, fasting and um, not drinking a lot of water and all these kinds of things in order to try to be able to meditate better and things like that. Um, But, there's again there's so much somewhat myth around this and differing stories on what the actual thing that happened was but one of the general stories about what happened to him is this um it talks about how when he was born there was an astrologer that came to his his father's palace and the astrologer claimed to see certain markings on the baby and said that he is either going to be a phenomenal monarch or he's going to be a great, ascetic, wise man, enlightened one. And obviously his dad wants him to be a ruler. Well, of course, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So that's what he wanted to go into. Um, But this this sage, this astrologer, told him this, and this kind of set his destiny for his life. So uh, his dad tried to keep him inside the temple because the the advisor said if he goes outside and he sees the the suffering and the poor and those that are hurting, he's going to want to become an enlightened sage. So his dad tried to, like, hide him in the temple. So life was cushy. Mm. Life was easy. It was good. His dad kept him there to become this great warrior and monarch. However, uh, Siddhartha eventually gets out when he's a young adult, and he sees what the outside world is like, and he sees people that are starving, and he sees the homeless, and he sees people with diseases. And this really had a huge effect on him. So... He comes back to the palace. He's trying to make sense of how does life work. He eventually gets married to this lady. They have a son. But by the time he's 29 years old, he decides he's going to leave his family to become an enlightened one who figures out how to eliminate people suffering. He wanted to cure suffering. And so it's interesting Mm. from a Christian perspective because he abandoned his family. So he brings suffering into their life in order to go alleviate and cure suffering. Yeah, that's very fascinating. It's it's you can already see off the bat where we're getting here. It's like already there's a misconception of truth. 
yep. in the founding of how he went out to seek this. There is. Yeah. And, and so he goes about and he, right. he lives an ascetic lifestyle. He, he fasts and, you know, he was trying to fast as much as he could. There's actually a story about him where he was trying to cross a river, a small stream kind of thing. Mm. And he was so weak from not eating that it almost washed him away and drowned him. And that after, doesn't surprise me. And yeah. after that, he decided, hey, I probably need to eat a little bit more. It's probably true that that yeah. happened. And yeah. so he, he's he's going around doing this. He's exchanging ideas with people. He's obviously meditating. He's practicing yoga. He's doing asceticism. <clears throat> and after five years, he has this experience where he sits under the bow tree and he has a uh, enlightenment uh, where he becomes what they say is the Buddha. So he yes. gains this insight, which we're going to get to one of the insights he gained during his enlightened state was called the Four Noble Truths. But that's why he's called Buddha. A Buddha is a Sanskrit language. Uh, it's a Sanskrit word that means the enlightened one. Mm -hmm. And so when you say the word Buddha, that's what it means, enlightened one. Yeah. So he became the enlightened one and he began teaching this middle way is what it's called to a whole bunch of followers. And then they've passed it on through the, the, the you know, centuries. Yeah. And then yeah. we have it still existing to this day. Yeah. And that actually, that kind of segues into what the main Buddhist holy books are. Yes, absolutely. We want to talk about, yeah, what are the holy books of Buddha? Yeah, Buddhism. exactly. And so uh, the interesting thing about Buddhism is a lot of people confuse it for Hinduism. But yes. uh, the reason I bring that up is because the holy books in Buddhism are a lot more defined. Whereas you find in Hinduism, yep. there's not really a defined sacred text. No. Uh, so, but with Buddhism, there is. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that distinction for you guys. So in Buddhist, Buddhism, there is called, I, I believe it's called the tri Tripitaka mm -hmm. is what it is. And it's, it stands for, it means three baskets, essentially. So these three different aspects or baskets, as they say, for what entails Buddhist teaching. Mm -hmm. So the, the first of the three are Buddha's sermons. He le left these sermons when he was enlightened and trying to uh, help others to become enlightened as well. So they... Uh, Buddhists will often look at his sermons for teaching and guidance. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the rules for monks. That's the second on the, of the three baskets where they follow these strict ways of life in mm -hmm. order to become enlightened. And, and you've seen, I'm sure many of you have seen Buddhist monks, right? They typically yeah. they wear orange. They have shaved heads, robes. Mm -hmm. That, that's kind of what a lot of people think of, uh, aside from the Catholic monk. Like, sure. That's what yeah, you yeah, think yeah. of if you're thinking of Eastern monks. Uh, that's typically what it is. Buddhist. Yeah, yeah Buddhist. And then um, lastly, for the third of the three baskets it are the philosophical teachings, which mm -hmm. is typically passed on by like word of, word of mouth, where mm -hmm. it's just taught like the philosophy and the way of life to live out the enlightened lifestyle to become enlightened. Mm -hmm. So those are the three baskets. And what's interesting, though, all of those things combined with the uh, with Buddha's sermons, the rules for monks, all, all in the philosophical teachings, all the, the writings that they have in Buddhism is actually 70 times larger than the entire Bible, Old oh and New gosh. Testament. That's insane. So picture that, 70 Bibles. That's how much text is there. So if you're a Buddhist... 
Uh, we do this thing in Christianity yeah. a lot of times called reading through the Bible in a year. Oh, oh my <laughs> so goodness, yeah. I wonder, could you imagine trying to read through the the Tripitaka in three years, in one year? That's probably, I mean... 70 times larger than the Bible. That's the thing, and that's it's why crazy. you got to think, so like, big. that's why, like, the monks, like, dedicate their lives to this. You have you, to. You got it. Yeah. You have to dedicate your life to studying it. Exactly. To truly understand everything, you have to spend your whole life doing yep. this. Because, I mean, we have such a hard time, like, uh, like uh, Christians, like, completely understanding the Bible after even reading it yep. in a year, right? Yeah. And there's so much studying just in one year. Imagine doing that, like, 70 times that amount of text. Trying to, to understand, to understand comprehend, it. and to live by, and to remember. Yeah, of course. So it'd be it, very difficult. Just kind of give you a picture of what it's like. Yeah, there's dedication yeah. for sure. Now let's get into some of their beliefs, all right? So what, yeah. what are the teachings? Yeah. What, what were the ideologies and the philosophies of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha? So he begins to preach this thing called the middle way. Now I do want to uh, emphasize there's, there's different forms different types of Buddhists. Just like in Hinduism, there's a lot of different views on things. Yeah. In Buddhism, it's not, they, they say the big word is, it's not monolithic. It's not like one thing. Whereas Christianity is pretty much, it's one thing. This To be a Christian means these basic doctrines. Yes. Right? In Buddhism, there's a couple of different ideas, um, so many different beliefs. Now, all of them, of course, will claim that they're following the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama. That's why yeah, they call themselves yeah. Buddhists, right? But there's two main branches of Buddhism. Buddhism currently. Um, one of them is called the Mahayana Buddhists, which Mahayana means the greater vehicle. And then there's also the Hinayana, which means the lesser vehicle. So what the what the Mahayana teach, the greater vehicle, they teach, and this is a really important thing, they claim that enlightenment is available to all people. Mm, that yeah. anybody can actually become enlightened. Yeah, they do. Okay? The the Hinayana, the lesser vehicle, they believe that only a few of the committed, real serious about Buddhism people can become enlightened. So that's the main distinction. They believe everyone can do it in one group, the Mahayana, and then the Hinayana believe that it's only a select few who really put forth an extreme amount of effort. Yeah. Now, the Hinayana Buddhists um, understood calling it the lesser vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of gave it like a bad connotation. That's kind of what you think. Hearing, yeah, yeah it's lesser, like yeah. you don't believe everyone can do it. It's not good PR. And so right. instead of calling themselves the Hinayana, they renamed themselves. They rebranded and they call themselves the Theravada Buddhists. So Theravada Buddhism, uh, Theravada means the teaching of the elders. Ah, so instead of saying go. the lesser vehicle, you know, only if you can be enlightened, they didn't want to. They didn't want to lead with that foot. Yeah, yeah. So they they renamed themselves. So if you hear of Theravada <laughs> Buddhists, they believe that it's only the extremely committed few who actually can become enlightened, and most everybody else won't. But the Mahayana Buddhists believe everyone can. Yeah, they had a good rebrand there. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. It is a good rebrand. Yep. But if you hear those terms, that's that's the distinction. That's what mm. it is. So now, basic beliefs in Buddhism. Um, both groups of Buddhists accept the Four Noble Truths. That's right. And they accept the Eightfold Path. And so let's, Tyler, let's get into what are the Four Noble Truths? Yeah, the Four Noble Truths, uh, first off, is, uh, yeah, for the first one, it's life consists of suffering, pain, misery, sorrow, and unfulfillment. Okay, time out right there. I would agree with that. I would too. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, like, so 
I think it's a matter of what happened earlier. He recognizes that the world is broken, right? Yes. But that's what happens. So that's one of the yeah, first truths. Yeah, he truth. saw suffering. Exactly. Bad. So we would agree with that. Yeah, pain, misery, of course, sorrow, there's unfulfillment, sin, there's, suffering. There's wickedness in the world. Yeah. Yeah, there is suffering in this world for sure. Yeah. Okay, what's the second noble truth? Yeah, the second noble truth is that everything is impermanent and ever-changing. We suffer because we desire those things which are impermanent. So we are de- we have desire for things that are temporary, okay. Essentially, now and I it would, causes suffering. I would agree. Okay, so let's take a step back. Sure, everything is impermanent. Disagree. I disagree with that as well. Because we would say no. There is a God who mm-hmm. is perfect and immutable. He can't change, right? Yeah, he well, doesn't change. However, I will agree with the next part of that portion where it says that suff- we suffer because we desire things that are not. Important in that are impermanent to yes. a degree, yeah. Well, um, well, now, now here's the thing this is interesting to think yeah. about because I would agree with that in a sense. That's like, why, yeah, we suffer when we indulge wrong desires, yes, yes, right? Wouldn't that be a Christian perspective? Probably? Yeah, to kind of like, kind of paint a picture of this, remember how earlier we were talking about kids and coffee mm-hmm. in moderation? Uh-huh. It would cause children probably suffering at a young age to get addicted to coffee if they overindulged on it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So in the same way, when it comes to like, think, that's kind of a little picture of what yeah. this is. But just to give you an idea, so we, when well, we, we focus too yeah. much and overindulge, that is what causes suffering on temporary things. I would say overindulgence is a sin, but I would also yeah. say if we indulge any desire that is a sin. Mm, so it's not an yeah. over... If I overindulge lust... That's a great way of saying no, it. No, it's just indulging oh, lust, right? Of course. Not You're overindulging right. murder. It's just indulging yeah, murder, right? right. right? Or hatred. Of course. Yeah, of course. That, that definitely brings suffering. There's consequences to sinful actions. Well, and the Bible yeah. says this, right? That that the wages of sin is death. Um, but also when desire conceives, James said, it gives birth to sin. And when yeah, sin fully yeah. grows, it brings death. So there we go. And so, yeah, there's consequence to indulging bad desires. Exactly. So, But you see the but that's the not issues, what he's though, saying, though. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He says everything's impermanent and ever-changing. Disagree. And then he says, we suffer because we desire things which are impermanent. I desire some things that are impermanent and I don't suffer for it. Like food is impermanent. That's true, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so again, it's, it's interesting, right? So I do agree we can bring suffering onto ourselves. Yeah, but, but majority of what that statement is saying is not true. And the, the funny yeah, thing is, and yeah. I know we're kind of dragging this one noble truth out a lot. Yeah. But uh, um, the funny thing is, is it's also a self-defeating statement because it says everything is impermanent and ever-changing. So is that, yeah. That would mean that that statement <laughs> is impermanent and ever-changing. <laughs> yeah, that's Me- true. Meaning it's going to change. Meaning, oh, so it, are things actually permanent? Yeah. Yeah. So you can see there's, there's so one of the many four noble issues. truths, right? One of the four pillars of oh, what so we the, believe. Are yeah. the four pillars then permanent? permanent? They, yeah, that's the thing. To them, they're not. So yeah. anyway. Anyway. Uh, all right. What's the yeah, third one? The third noble truth. The way to liberate oneself from suffering is to eliminate all desire. We must stop craving that which is impermanent. Now, I 100% disagree with that. Yeah, we, yeah. I, I would say our, our desires can lead us to sin and then bring on bad consequences. We can we can make ourselves we can hurt ourselves, right? Yeah, we can bring of suffering on ourselves. But the way to stop that isn't to eliminate all desire. Right. It's to eliminate wrong actions. Yeah, and well, I wouldn't even say yeah. it's to eliminate wrong desire. Because Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. He was, yeah. Right? And so 
Um, I can be tempted and not sin. So it's more like it's mm-hmm. more like eliminating, giving into wrong desires. Well, that and it's actually it's another self-defeating thing here. It's actually impossible to eliminate desire. Yeah. Impossible philosophically. And what I mean by that is because in order to eliminate desire, it is a desire in itself to eliminate <laughs> desire. Yeah. Therefore, you have you were always desiring something. Yep. Always. That's right. So to, to say that you need to eliminate desire, it, it just philosophically doesn't make sense. It doesn't It's work. impossible. Yeah, it's a self-defeating yes. idea. That's true. All so, right, so what's the fourth noble truth? Yes, the fourth noble truth is desire can be eliminated by following the eightfold path, which again, that okay. segues into the, the eightfold, eightfold path, path yeah. right? So if this is, this is how you do this. Yeah. Okay. So that was the four noble truths. Now the eightfold path, we're getting into that. Section one is wisdom. Uh, Pana is what they call it. Uh, it is right understanding is the idea. Uh, seeing the world as it is, seeing that it is an illusion and it, not clinging to the impermanent. Well, that makes sense because if everything's impermanent, you're desiring impermanent. Yeah. You've got to view things as impermanent and illusion. Right. And this mm-hmm. is like a Hinduistic idea too. They don't believe that reality exactly. is there. Yeah. They think it's an illusion. And so this goes hand in hand with the Four Noble Truths. So you see why they say, well, you have to believe this in yep. order to believe in that because they go hand in hand. Okay. So the first of the Eightfold Path, number one, right understanding, seeing the world as an illusion and not clinging to the impermanent. Correct. Okay. And then, yeah. And then also with that, we have right thought. That's the second part to uh, section one. It's that paying attention to what our intentions are with others and with our actions. Like do mm. intentions stem from anger, greed, jealousy, lust? And if so, we are more likely to harm others. So that kind of all encompasses the idea of what they think of the first section. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right understanding, right thought. Mm-hmm. And I'd agree with that somewhat, right? Paying attention to what our intentions are with others and where yeah. our actions stem from. Is it greed? Is it anger? It's funny, though, because like a lot of these are like almost saying like <clears throat> your decisions uh, or your intentions and your interactions with others are stemming from emotions. Yeah. But you have what, a will. Exactly. And you can decide to tell those, hey, stop. Yeah, that's so yeah, true. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So – and then with that – um yeah, just moving on to the next part. This they break it break it up into three sections. So section two uh, is ethical conduct. So the next one is right speech, uh, using your words to love others and build them up. Not using speech, uh, including written words, to cause suffering. Intentions come into play with all of this. Okay, because obviously when they say intentions come into play, yeah, uh, they know that uh, obviously as human beings. We can have make mistakes to use speech in a way that unintentionally yeah. can harm others. So oh, that's yeah, what yeah. they mean by that. That makes sense. So in their yep. worldview, it's that if you are saying something unintentionally that causes harm and suffering, you can't be held responsible for it necessarily. Yeah. And in addition to that, they would also say that you can be saying nice words but if your intentions are to get something selfishly from the other person, then exactly. you're indulging in the desire in the impermanent. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it goes so, both ways. So to them, yeah. it's all about the intent. Yep. That's that's the focus on there. Yeah. And are you right clinging speech. to what's impermanent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In your speech. Yes. Yep. And then right action. Uh, okay. To pay attention to how you act in the world. Uh, actions should go towards helping but not harming. Also, doing things to your best with skill is important. Action should not cause suffering to others. So you can kind of see a common theme here. Yeah. The whole idea 
is eliminate suffering, don't cause harm to others. Yep. That's what they're getting at. That's the ethical play out of this. Exactly. Yeah, you're trying to eliminate suffering. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then right livelihood is the next one. Okay. Where you work is important. Does your occupation cause suffering or help? Even if you are working in a company that helps others, are you treating your coworkers well? So this is interesting. So now you get into a vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if Buddhists would be really okay with working like at a tobacco factory. Yeah. Right? I don't think I mean, he would, no. Things like that would be kind of unethical in this worldview. It's true. But working in healthcare or massage mm-hmm. or those kinds of things are helping people. Yeah, that's so, a great great way. Yeah, to put you'd it. have to take that into account as a Buddhist. Like, what's my livelihood? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. am I hurting or or helping? So mm. yeah, because by working for those companies, you're enabling harm yeah. and suffering yeah. in the world. Yeah, and you're, ca- you're you're helping produce a product that can cause suffering. Yeah, yeah. So they couldn't they wouldn't be about that. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And then uh, so then that leads us into section three: uh, mental disciplines. Okay. Okay. So the first one in this section is right effort. Being right effort. Yeah, exactly. Right effort. Being aware of where you are, putting forth effort in your speech, actions, and if you were putting forth effort to meditate and follow the Eightfold Path, or if you are putting forth effort towards frivolous things. Okay. So making sure that your motivations are there is another way of putting it. Again, though, this begs the question, like, is the Eightfold Path a permanent thing? Because I thought yeah. everything was impermanent. That's so the thing. what's the difference between putting my efforts towards a frivolous thing like, you know, Nintendo or putting it towards having, you know, right livelihood? Yeah, and if any, everything what's is the impermanent if everything too. is impermanent. Yeah, and another way to attack that idea of uh, with everything being impermanent, then that would imply that the lifestyle that Buddha taught mm-hmm. of eliminating suffering is also impermanent. Yeah. So why is that? Why do we need to go? Yeah. Why why is that goal permanent? It has to be a permanent goal in order for it to be important for all people to follow. Exactly. Yeah. So you see, there's, I mean, we're just touching the surface of all this and you can already see all the philosophical issues. We're not even fully talking about like from a Christian perspective yet. This is just philosophical problems Mm -hmm. with Buddhism. Uh, And then again, that brings us into the next part. It's uh, right awareness, okay? Being mindful of your present, not going throughout your day living inside your head or dwelling on the past, Mm. but being aware of the present situations and not allowing them to be made worse. Okay. So focus on the present. Mm -hmm. Focus on present suffering. Don't think of what could be's or what ifs. Yeah. That's kind of the idea. Exactly. Don't dwell in the past. Okay. Then the last one of the eight here is right meditation. So focusing the mind solely on one object, right meditation requires the use of right effort, right intention, and right awareness. Okay, well, okay. Tyler, so how do I focus my mind on only one object when it also entails three things? That's the, that's the question, Robbie. <laughs> that's I, like, how do you do that, right? That's that's a uh, yeah. Well, that's, th- really that's the thing. Yeah, you you have to see the universe as an impermanent illusion throughout yes. this ph- philosophy. That's that's what it's based on because it's based on this. a Hinduistic worldview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the universe is an imperfect, impermanent illusion, and then the sad part is you also have to view yourself as part of that illusion. You have to. So I, the me, I don't exist. I have to get out of that idea. I have to be enlightened past my own existence. Yeah. 
Which is strange because this doesn't sound like very attractive or appealing. Eliminating suffering sounds attractive that does. and appealing. And not bringing suffering into your life or others sounds appealing. But the ultimate goal... Well, yeah, getting yeah. into nirvana, it, and we'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't sound appealing. <laughs> but. So how does this play out? Well, in Buddhist life with ethical conduct, um, they are very against taking the form of any life. Yeah. Not just yeah. human, but any life, right? Because you don't want to cause suffering. And so they don't want to take any life. They're very careful about not stepping on bugs. I mean, for real, like mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Not taking a life. Stealing, obviously, they think is terrible because you're enacting suffering on somebody by yes. taking their things. And you're giving into impermanent stuff. You're going to hurt and yeah. cause suffering in order to have some impermanent stuff. Um, immoral sexual behavior, they would say, is wrong because that comes from a desire. And that leads to a whole bunch of types of suffering in mm-hmm. certain people and jealousies and issues in relationships. They would say lying is is wrong because you are trying to deceive in order to get something because you're desiring the impermanent. But they also believe taking, taking intoxicants is a bad idea. That's very interesting. Taking intoxicants, yep, because it's giving in to an impermanent hallucinogen or alcohol or whatever in order to feel a certain way. Right. So yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. They throw that in there too. Yep. So the idea is that as you have, like they said, right awareness, right meditation, you can eventually attain enlightenment. And uh, Buddha wanted to attain freedom from suffering, but also the freedom from the cycle of death and rebirth. Because Buddhists do believe in reincarnation, because that's a, that's a hangover from Hinduism. It, it stayed because yeah, Buddha yeah. came out of a Hinduistic worldview. And so he also wanted to think, so not just how do I alleviate suffering in this life and not cause suffering for others, but how can I ultimately alleviate suffering? Because if I keep coming back in a different life form, I'm going to keep experiencing suffering. Yeah, So exactly. how do I how do I completely get out of it? And he he realized you have to get out of the cycle of reincarnation and, and karmic debt. Yes. And so the way to escape this, he says, is to ultimately, truly cease craving the impermanent, which includes the idea of yourself, which includes that this material world, this coffee cup, this phone – Tyler, yeah. that all, any of this even exists. I have to realize this is impermanent and illusion. Stop desiring it mm-hmm. and realize I'm not even actual. My The self, me, doesn't exist. And when I do that, I can attain enlightenment. Yeah. It's, it's very fascinating, this whole thing, because you see that it's kind of like, like all the ideas – that they implement in Buddhism are to get out of this world, right? It's yep. counter to the Hinduistic idea of reincarnation. They mm-hmm. uh, like Buddhism. They don't think it's to, cool. They don't. Yeah. They they actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they do actually believe that reincarnation is real. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. They think it happens. They're trying to get out of it. Exactly. Yeah. And they're trying to get out because they they think it's bad. Whereas yeah. in Hinduism, they think it's good because it's a cycle of living. Right. Yeah. They so, don't really have a story for exactly. what happens. But yeah. in America, we've we've taken reincarnation and we made it cool. Like, yeah. oh, my next life, I want to do this and do that and it's like that isn't the idea at no, all the idea all. is you have to keep coming back because you didn't do good enough yeah <laughs> and yeah. you're gonna suffer more and so they're trying to get out of it we hijacked that idea exactly and think it's cool you know yeah yeah, yeah. and so uh it, just 
to get to ultimate salvation, right? Like where, what is the end goal mm-hmm. in Buddhism? Uh, the end goal is that at the moment you gain enlightenment, you have reached nirvana. And now mm-hmm. that's not to be confused with the band from the 90s. No. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> nirvana is essentially this, uh, the, the way it's described by Buddha. Yeah, this qu- is his, yeah, this yeah. is a, his description. This is his, This is a quote from Buddha of what nirvana is. He says... There is a sphere which is neither earth nor water nor fire nor air, which is not the sphere of the infinity of space, nor the sphere of the infinity of consciousness, the sphere of nothingness, the sphere of perception or non-perception, which is neither this world, neither sun nor moon. I deny that it is coming or going and during death or birth, it is only the end of suffering." Now, what's interesting, he mainly, in order to describe this sphere, Mm -hmm. which he describes as nirvana, he has to describe what it isn't. That's kind of what he's doing here. So really what it is, is we have to come to a place where we eliminate suffering Mm -hmm. and we come to a place in our minds where we develop peace and become enlightened Mm -hmm. through the process of meditation and over years of practicing to eliminate our desires. And maybe lifetimes. And maybe lifetimes. Reincarnate, reincarnate, reincarnate. Correct. Until eventually we get it, and then we become one with nirvana. Yep. One with... It's not even nothingness, though. It's less than nothing. Yeah. Because he says it's not the sphere of nothingness. Yeah, the way he essentially is is describing this here, it's that we are becoming abstract. We Mm -hmm. are... Like, we are ceasing to exist, but yet... Our, our, our essence is still going out into the nothingness. So like for some reason, like it, it gets a little confusing mm-hmm. but the, because it is, but the, the idea is that our essence becomes nothingness. Becomes one with the nothing. Becomes one with yeah, the nothingness. With the beyond nothing. Yeah, which doesn't yeah. make sense because it's not real. Uh, but, but, but you're not real. Uh, oh, right, right. I have to eliminate that. Yes. Yeah, but see, since I don't understand that right now, it'll be a few lifetimes till maybe. Yeah, I'll and get since there. you continue to cling to food and so to exactly. these other things. Yeah. yeah, so as Christians, we have to think through ideas like this. Now, it's not as common for us here in the U.S., these type of Eastern thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are Buddhists out here. There's lots oh, sure. of Buddhists out yeah, here. Yeah, there are. Yeah, but it's not as common as it is maybe in Europe or obviously in Asia. Yeah, in India, so, uh, Nepal. Yeah, exactly. There also is, and I just want to mention this, mm-hmm. this is a different thing. We're not going to get into it. Right, yeah. But there's also Zen Buddhism, yes, which is a yes. little bit different because it is a, a Japanese version mm-hmm. of... Buddhism. Um, again, they fo- they hold to the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, but they have different nuances about things. That's yeah. a little different. And uh, Zen Buddhism mm-hmm. is very popular. I mean, it's not widely popular, right? But it it well, is popular a, a lot of in America. Zen Buddhism was kind of mixed. Buddhism mixed with ancestry and history and like a yeah. cultural upbringing. Well, I mean, and, and so that's and there's that's yeah. like Shintoism's there because th- like Shintoism's yeah, yeah. the 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 ancestry stuff and the the like pantheon stuff. But um, Zen Buddhism is like Taoism mixed with Buddhism. Yes, that's what yes. it is. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Thank when you, you see Tao that, written, yeah. it's written T A O. Yeah, exactly. And Dao. now again, we're, we're not going to get into that. We don't have time to break. Yeah, down that's everyone. a whole different thing. But yes, but there are different versions of Buddhism out yeah. there. But, but this is the it, core. Exactly. This is the core of the, what it these is. These are uh, the core ideas. Now, the thing is, is as Christians, we need to 
navigate through this still because like I was say, like I said there still are people who believe in these ideas oh, yeah. that we can interact with day to day especially for some of our listeners who are in other countries I'm sure you guys out there deal with it a lot more than we do here yep. in Phoenix Arizona yep. so it's something that's important that we need to be aware about uh, and in order to tackle this, we need to go through uh, what Robbie and I like to do is to go through the eight worldview questions. Mm -hmm. And now if you're kind of confused on what those are, the eight worldview questions, uh, we've covered them on past podcasts. We did a series on them. You could go back and look those up. Mm -hmm. um, but if you also, we kind of get these ideas from James Sire's book, The Universe Next Door. Yeah, They're also found awesome. in there. So I would highly recommend that. So, but we're not going to get into what the eight view, worldview questions are for time's sake. Yeah. Uh, but to kind of address Buddhism through the perspective, yeah, of the seven the basic eight questions. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, of the seven questions, um, we're going to tackle that right now. So, what is ultimate reality to Buddhism? In Buddhism, ultimate. So, obviously, to us, it's God. Right. But to us, it's God. So yeah. In Buddhism, ultimate reality is the void. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not even nothing. It's beyond nothing. It's not something you can name. It's not something you can grasp. Um, so to say nothing is incorrect, and, and to say it's something is also incorrect. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of what Buddha was explaining with Nirvana. It's it's nothing. It's void. It's not a thing. Um, it it is the origin of all things, but it's void. It's not a mind. So it's not like a yeah. person. They don't believe that. It's just void. It's Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that's kind of what they see as ultimate that's reality. That's the ultimate. Well, that's where they want to get to. Right, right. Yeah. And for us, that's God. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And so that brings us to question two. What is the nature of nature? Yeah, and in Christianity, yeah. we think God made everything. Exactly, right? yep. Um, to them, what do they think, Tyler? What is what is the nature of this world? Everything universe? is an illusion. Impermanence, it's, it's right? We, real. Ju we just yeah. discussed that. Everything is impermanent, including the world we live in. Yep. Including it's ourselves. It's an illusion. It's not real at yes, all. Yes, exactly. So, yep. Um, which that's fascinating. So then yeah. going on to going on to question number three, mm -hmm. what is a human being, right? Yeah. As Christians, we would believe we're made in God's image and likeness and we are his representatives and he gives rulership and procreative abilities and a lot. Exactly. And we're important to him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, in Buddhism... There's what, value. Yeah, what is a human being in Buddhism? Well, a human being is not like the individual person is not a soul. Like mm -hmm. we teach in Christianity, like we learn from scripture. Uh in Buddhism, there's no nameable nature at the core of every person. It's just you are nothing. Yeah. Whereas in Christianity, we have a soul. We That is our nature. That mm -hmm. is human nature, right? Yep. That is who a human being is. And then existence factors in Buddhism are body, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. Yeah. That's what they believe. It's but just there's not an I. A machine. And that's also yeah. why they think like, like those evil desires are controlling you. Yeah, it's just when a part say, no, of this mechanism. A me, yeah, if, there, if yeah. there's no me to be controlled, yeah. then how is it controlling me? It kind of yeah. fits into like this, uh, this um, I don't know, a secular worldview a little bit. Uh, and yep. when it comes to this idea, because you, a lot of people who take a secular worldview would say, yeah, like a uh, human being's essence is just body, feeling, perceptions, and mental formations. Yeah. So that's kind of how Buddhists view the human well, body. And you can kind of look yeah. at Buddhism as atheistic Hinduism. That's actually a great way of that's putting it. That's a lot it. of what yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, often, too, like you see in Christianity, right? We have, uh, there's all these different her heretical ideas and beliefs mm -hmm. and uh, like, 
like Mormonism. Who, yeah. uh, it, they claim to be a sect of Christianity, but it's uh, completely it's heretical. Yeah, it's it's not Christianity. Yes, in the same way, Buddhism is that to Hinduism. Yeah, in it's a sense. an offshoot that's not exactly the same. Exactly. But they some ideas. So, like, one, yeah. of, one of the ideas, so in, in Hinduism, um, reincarnation, it's literally you, like your soul, getting put in a new life form. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Buddhists don't believe that happens. Mm-hmm. What they believe is that you are an aggregate of previous life forms. Yes. And that when you die, you disappear and then you're reconstituted as another person mm-hmm. from those five uh, those five existence factors. Perception, feeling, body, mental formations, and consciousness. Yeah. So they say you're put you're put together from that. You're reconstituted, and then there's this aggregate of life after life after life. But you kind of disappear from being you because they don't exactly. think that the personality or the the individuality is a thing. Yeah, there isn't that. You're absolutely right. You're, you're just part of the one. Yeah, which that kind of touched on the next question, which was what happens to a person at death. So yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's this psych of reincarnation. Yep, right? Over and over and over again unless you can become enlightened and get to be nothing. Yes. Which sounds m- much better from my standpoint to continue to be something than to become nothing. Yeah, well, I think the really realistically if you boil it down the philosophy of Buddhism, they believe that like putting it kind of in Christian terms, this life mm-hmm. is their version of hell. Everything that's happening is yeah, awful suffering. because yeah. of the suffering. Yeah. The best way for them to get out of this is to just eliminate it all. Just get mm-hmm. rid of it. Yeah. Annihilate ourselves by becoming enlightened and becoming one with the nothing. Yeah. And yeah. Bas- basically not exist. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the case. So uh, that's kind of like a, a, the philosophy when you really break it down. Yep. And so. then when you get into how do you know these things, right? The craziest yeah. part of this is, is that uh, they believe that to become one with nirvana is to pass beyond knowledge, mm-hmm. which you need to do because knowledge is an illusion. Yeah, exactly. And it's and like, it, so how do you know knowledge work. is an illusion? Where'd you get that knowledge? Is that knowledge an illusion? Yeah. So should I, see, should I believe you or not? You have to pretend a lot in this. You yeah. have to pretend that this actually is a concrete idea. I mean, well, you have to but believe it, keeps it is. cutting its legs out and from pretend under it's it. not. Yeah, that's the problem. It's it's, it's, it's espousing yes. knowledge and then telling you knowledge is an illusion you need to not believe in. Yeah. Well, which is it? It just doesn't make sense. It's because it, it doesn't work. This yeah. worldview does not work with reality. And, it, yeah. it goes on to the same with right and wrong. Like, how do we know what, what's morally good or permissible? Yeah. And, and they the would question. say, listen, it's all an illusion, mm-hmm. right? And so to, to eventually reach nirvana is to pass beyond good and evil. Yeah. So everything's perfect all the time. It is how it is. You have a hang-up with this whole good-bad thing. And it's like, well, then how do you recognize what suffering is? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. How, how is suffering something that's concrete and defined? Because to them it is. I know. They define it, and they say that, look, it's undisputable that this is we got to eliminate it. But if there's not good or evil, then you can't claim – then suffering's an illusion. They would say right? that anything with desire causes suffering. Yeah, but so, suffering itself is an illusion. Yeah. They, but they, but they, it doesn't seem like that comes out of the worldview. Exactly. So again, it's just very yeah. inconsistent within itself. If everything's an illusion, mm-hmm. then you should just do whatever you want. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. And so that brings us uh, now into the final question. Question seven is, what is the purpose of history? Yep. To, to re- the purpose in Buddhism is to realize one's oneness and enter nirvana is to pass beyond time. Time is unreal. Time's illusion. And right? history is yeah. this long-lasting cycle of illusion. Yep. Over and over, reincarnate, reincarnate. And there's not a purpose to it. That's there's the not, sad part. Yeah. Other than trying to get out of it. Yes. So it's like a cruel game that we're in that's fake and we just need to get out. It's and not yeah. get out to get to something better. Right. That's more of a Christian idea to a heaven idea. Exactly. This is just get out of it to nothing. Yeah, and so the key is here what we need to be doing. If if you come into uh, conversation with a Buddhist or anyone who believes in this type of philosophy, Ask them these worldview questions Mm -hmm. and keep asking them questions because when it comes to Eastern thinking and type of religions like Buddhism, the best way to apply apologetics to them is to get them to ask the questions because oftentimes uh, culturally – they don't think in that way. They don't think in philosophical ways mm-hmm. in that essence. They think in the terms of the spiritual and how they feel about these things. Yeah. So if you can get them to think philosophically about what they believe, that is huge. And then you can go through and ask them these worldview questions. Say, mm-hmm. And then when you ask them like the question, uh, what is ultimate reality? And they say the void. And it say, well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. And then like break that down. Keep asking questions. How do you know that enlightenment is the way to nirvana well, and, and they, how do you know they also yeah. might not even know the answers to these because like exactly so, so many buddhists or people who say they're buddhists that i meet um they talk about oh i just love meditating because it just calms me and then i say well calmness is an illusion yeah well it just brings yeah, me inner exactly. peace well peace is an illusion like that's not the goal of this thing they, exactly they don't understand yes. it. it's almost like this is a self-help thing to make me have a better life always focus that on that too what yeah. the idea is at all focus on that too if they bring that up and say well it gives me peace it gives me this it helps me to eliminate suffering in the world tell them say well it will ask them like isn't that isn't all of that an illusion yeah. that's what buddha taught well most of the time yeah. i mean again for real Buddhists, they understand this. Of course, of but course. A lot of people, New Age, who practice Buddhism, they're not doing this. They're right, doing they're a, not. hey, I like to meditate and cross my legs and put my hands out and I like to chant yep. and I like to, you know, they're not doing what it really is. R- yeah. They ripped off methods in order to have a better self help life. And it's also psychological, a lot of it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, in the same way of how Christians, like how we can take time to meditate and pray, mm-hmm. right? They get the same physical, like psychological benefits too sure. from that, f- physical and psychological. It's from good rest. to slow down and think about things. But exactly. Buddhism yeah. teaches you don't think about things. Exactly. So that's it's like different the whole from mess Christianity. Here. Christianity is focus on truth. Yes. This is yes. deny reality. Yes. And so you see, even the problem that you with exist. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 completely different. Even though we use the same terms um but yeah people can oh, use sitting and being calm and quiet and th- that it's therapeutic yeah, yeah yeah and that's that's exactly what i'm saying it's yeah th- this whole idea is that they, there's just no meaning to any of it and no, so there's not. if the key to applying apologetics to someone who falls follows this worldview is to ask those leading questions and mm-hmm. to get them to think get them help them to realize hey this doesn't make sense with reality. And the other thing too that's important with Hindus yeah. or Buddhists that I always like to bring up because they believe if you if you follow this like this is a path the eightfold path right is 
a method for you to save yourself. Yeah, now, again, yeah. I don't even think what they're trying to get saved to is very worthy of me going there. Yeah. I don't think it's desirable at all. It's not attractive to me. Nirvana no. sounds terrible. Um, but they are trying to save themselves. It's a works-based philosophy. It is. And we should, uh, as Christians, we have something to offer the Hindu or the Buddhist, and it's forgiveness. They don't have a concept of being forgiven. They have the concept of working off my karmic debt or meditating harder or pushing myself to become enlightened. It's all up to them. But this idea that you can be forgiven, mm. they don't yeah. have that concept. It's true. And so that, as Christians, that's something I think we should lead with when we're talking about difference. You can difference. be forgiven of your desires that cause suffering. Yep, and you could be forgiven of your karmic debt. Mm-hmm. You can be forgiven of the things you've done in past lives. And not only are can that happen, but you exist. That's why you can be forgiven. And you are important. Yeah. You're not nothing. You're something. You have an individual that has value, and there's nothing else like you in all of creation. And there's something better eternally out there for you than being annihilated and being nothing, essentially. Because you have not only significance in this life, but you have eternal purpose and significance in the next. And see, from an outsider perspective, that just sounds so much better. I think so. It just does. And, And that's the thing. It's you have to come to terms with all of the 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 bad ideas that go into Buddhism in order to believe in it, all mm-hmm. the philosophical ideas. And then on top of that, you also have to buy into this idea that you are worthless and meaningless, where Christianity offers stability. It offers philosophical reason. It offers logic, consistency. Well, and, and it's livable. And it's livable. Yeah, you can't, you can't, as a Buddhist, like you can't, really believe this and live it. Yeah. It's unlivable to believe everything's an illusion, including yourself. Exactly. Because it, every day you wake up thinking. <laughs> the right? way I like to say is, is Christianity welcomes hypocrites. That's the thing. Like it yeah. welcomes people who cannot live out. They can't walk the talk. Yeah. Cause it's admitting I need help. Yes. But this is like denying the thing you believe every time you have a thought or every time you pull your hand away from that's a impossible stove. to do that because you can't live fake. that out. You can't yeah. live it out. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. So uh, yeah, Buddhism has never been attractive to me. Um, real Buddhism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now the new age self-help, mm-hmm. whatever, that's a different thing, but this has never been attractive because it's just so unlivable. Um, and then again, if you are, you know, the, um, the lesser vehicle Buddhist, you don't even believe most people can do it. Yeah, that's, so. that's exactly true. So it's just, I, I hope that for you guys that you just see through this overview of Buddhism that it. It's sad. It's it's something that we should we should pray for for mm-hmm. people who are believing in this idea because it's very degrading yeah. to their humanity and their personhood, and they are so Buddhist people who believe in the idea of Buddhism are so much more valuable than what it teaches, and they yeah. are so much more loved, and they have worth and more of a purpose than what Buddhism offers. Yeah. So. Uh, Again, I hope that this podcast has been helpful to those of you listening and that you can walk away from this having an understanding of some of the philosophical ideas that are out there. Because uh, like we said, like there's other versions of Buddhism out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's even just people out there, especially in the U.S., this is very common, people who don't actually believe in like the full real Buddhism. They just say it. Yeah. I mean, like once a couple years ago, I met a guy who said he believed in Buddhism, but then his version of Buddhism had a God that was kind of like 
like the force from Star Wars. And he actually <laughs> described it that way. Interesting. Yeah. And so it like there's so many versions of this because it's so abstract. It's yeah. so subjective. So it's just sad, uh, but we need to understand what the core ideas of it are so that way we can address it in the culture. Absolutely. Yep. And that's what we want to do is we want to be able to talk to people and be ready to give a defense uh, about our hope, but it's also kind and loving to know what other people believe so that yeah. you can have an intelligent yeah. conversation with them and hopefully put a stone in their shoe, um, put something in their mind that they mm -hmm. keep thinking about going, yeah, that was a really good point. That was a really good question. How do I answer that? Um, because we actually do live in God's world mm -hmm. and we actually actually were made to desire an eternal life and we actually were made to have purpose and and all people were all people were and yeah. so I think we can appeal to that part of humanity and help people wake up to the realization of Christianity being true mm -hmm. but hey thanks so much uh, for being with us today on Christ culture and coffee we will be back next week with another episode to help equip you to be able to defend your faith and to also be confident in what you believe so that you can know for sure that what you're believing in has good reasons and good evidence. But thanks for being with us today, Tyler. This was fun. It's been great. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. Hey, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our stoneware, Christ culture, and coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ culture and coffee.